Told you before, I keep my ear to the ground. I know you ain't making this shit up. You don't. Things happen on the street. Proof is hard to come by. Culture, not content. Uh-huh. Champagne truth. It's your boy Willie Will. Co-op podcast, y'all fuck with it. Co-op. Yeah, we back inside the co-op. I'm your boy Willie Will. My homeboy Champagne Chew, he's on the road with that boy Screen IE, so you know he's getting to that bag, but I had to do this one special. Chew, where you at, Chew? My, my, my OG, my mentor, nigga, you know what I mean? Set me down and taught me a lot about this shit. So I had to get him on the show. My, my OG, Greg Street in the building. What up with you? We in here, man. Man, finally got you on the show. You know what I mean? I mean, I always be getting kind of crazy around here when, when you mix with that traffic. I already know. At ATL. They, so they said niggas, they said it's going to be like 250,000 new residents before the end of the year or something like that? Probably so. Like, I, I just saw something on TV the other day talking about everything is building up now. They gotta go up. Yeah, we're running yeah. out of land. So it's like some New York shit now, like Chicago. They gotta go up. Yep, gotta go up. And it's cranes in the everything sky. Around, like, so everything around the Mercedes Benz dome on Northside Drive is gonna be up. That's crazy. Somebody just bought some, bought one of our big oom properties over there, and they're building. Uh, it's gonna everything going up. So niggas like oom. I saw uh, oom still got two or three blocks over there, so he's ready to cash out. Yeah, he he been here. <laughs> I'm talking about the whole block. Wow. Over there by what you know by, yeah. by the spot. Yeah, over here. Yeah, in fact, the whole block behind the train station, that whole next block over, that whole block with apartments and everything, that's yeah. his whole block. If you go all the way around the block. Damn, shout out to Oom. <laughs> Boy, Oom. I mean, that was one of the first spots I went to when I first moved out here, right there by Q Time. Yeah. They still got the record store right there? I don't think so. Right there by Q. My, my manager Thrash used to take me over at Jelly, was doing them video mixes and shit. Yep. Shit was crazy. But nah, tell, tell everybody, um, so. You do a lot of stuff. It's more than just radio with you. Like, and I don't know how many people actually know that, but like right now you got the We Need to Read shit with the kids. You just tell us about that and like how, like what, what made you start that and then like what's the, what's the premise behind We Need to Read? Well, the We Need to Read really evolved from the Greg Street Scholarship Fund. In 97, I started the Greg Street Scholarship Fund where I would give out $10,000 scholarships every year to a senior, but since everybody was doing, everybody does scholarships, I still do it, but when the, when the, uh, when the system kind of attacked the urban community saying, our kids read below grade level, mm-hmm. I switched it, I kind of flipped it from the Greg Street Scholarship Fund to We Need to Read to focus more on the, the li- literacy issue, and um, mm-hmm. I think everything went pretty good so far as going, you know, we're building it and growing it and growing it and growing it, you know, adding different entities, like last year we started the Summer Job Challenge, few summers before that we did every library in Fulton County like all 34 libraries we did those like three years in a row where we um, had the reading programs and all the libraries for the summer and then during the school year what I do is um, elementary schools and middle schools like we really focus on them um, trying to get the kids early to understand how 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 important it is to to read about things that that, that you care about. Cause, yeah, cause that's what got me into reading as a kid. I would read like sports bios and music shit. Like you know what I mean. Like I just read Michael Jordan's biography. Right. So that that's important. I, I try to tell my kids to this day is like if you don't like this shit, then just read something that you do like. You know right, what I mean? Because what happens? It, it's like the the brain is just like anything else and. A lot of people don't don't be really pay, unconsciously don't pay attention to it, but we take the kids to football, we take them to track, we take them to basketball, we take them to band, we take them to cheerleading and soccer and swimming and baseball, tennis, all this other stuff, and we don't think that they go to these different things so they can practice for the game so they can be better. Yeah. And we don't think about kids that don't read outside of school. That's like just showing up for the game on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. You show up to class and the teacher says you got to read these this chapter, this 30 pages. And you're like, man, you got to read 30. You got to read 30 pages five or six times to understand what it is that you're reading. But your comp- your comprehension level is not where it needs to be. Yeah. So if you read about things that you like, often just say, if you spend really, if you if you spend 30 minutes a day reading about things that you like. And you do at least five days, four or five days a week. In a year, you almost you'll be an expert. Yeah, at, at a bunch of shit. You know, it really yeah. at the thing that you like. <laughs> right, right. So, so if if you're an expert at the things that you like, and you've overcame that that uh, that fear of the book, and that fear to sit down and read because it takes you so long to comprehend. Now, when you go to class, it's not it doesn't take you 
you, you can read the chapter one time and read it, and it don't take you long to read it. Right, and it's a little more easier. School doesn't feel like such a drag, or it doesn't feel like so hard, because right, like because you actually you you doing this outside of school, like you said, you doing you not just showing up for the game, like you at home, so you getting yourself prepped and ready, You're practicing. You can read that those 30, 30 pages faster than everybody else, and you actually done already. You know what I mean? You can get to whatever is you really interested in or whatever. So. You ready for something else? And speaking of showing up to the game, because you know we was talking about these these new artists and how that's that's how they play the game. They show up to the game. They don't really want to go in the studio. Or go to these hole in the wall cruise shoes and all of these places and really honing on the crap. I just think yeah. I'm, I'm gonna tweet Willie Will and uh, he gonna get me on. Yeah, you know what I mean. And then because I had an artist tell me the other day, can you introduce me to such and such? I'm like, well, are you really? You want to meet him without having them for him? Like you want to just show up and meet him? Yeah, I'm ready. It's like, nah, you ain't gonna burn my bridges for me. Like, you know see, what I mean? but see, it, it goes back to the same thing. See, all of this evolves around this whole literacy issue. Yeah, the knowledge. Yeah. yeah. It all evolves back to that. It's like I was telling um, a guy I met a couple weeks ago about, say, if your kid wants to be a doctor or your kid wants to be a lawyer or your kid wants to be an architect, like this, this particular guy is a real estate guy. Okay. So I'm like, if, 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 and Block was with me, so I'm like, if Block's two twins, one of them want to be an architect and you are a big real estate mogul in Atlanta, he owns Crog Street Market. He's partners in a lot of other big, big, big projects in East Atlanta. So I was like, if Block introduces his son to you, wanting to be a, a real estate developer or an architect, and he's been reading about being an architect, he's been reading about construction. When he talks to you as a kid, now it's interesting. Right. If your if your if your kid wants to be a doctor, and when you take your and and he or she's been reading about medical about the medical field and being a doctor and what it takes and what they want to specialize in, when they go to the doctor and they sick. And they've been reading about this stuff for uh, six months, a year, two years, three years. When they engage with the doctor, they can have a different conversation. Right. So it's like that same thing with that hookup person. Yeah. If you just hook me up, but if I hook you up with somebody, if I hook you up with somebody, you're not interesting to them. What are you gonna get out of? Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's it's totally different from when you actually got the knowledge and the information, and then you meet somebody. See, everybody's looking for that hookup person to be Jesus. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? Everybody think they're going to meet that hookup person, and that hookup person going to be Jesus. Like, they're going to be able to take me all the way up through there just because of who they are. Yeah, no, yeah, and I, and that's literally how they think. And it's like, yo, I, you know, I think when sometimes when I'm talking to them, I'm like, listen, I know you want to think I'm old or some, some shit, but I'm trying to tell you that it was days where you just couldn't stop me from making beats. All I wanted to do was only make beats. Like, if you ask me right now to make one, I can do it in three minutes in your face and go back to what I was doing just before that because I put them hours in. Right. And it's like, like you said, you come in, you want to be a doctor, you start talking to the doctors, they gonna know whether you really interested or not because they really in this field. So they're gonna wait, they waiting on keywords, they waiting on certain things. Information. Yeah. Information, so the same thing like you said, you told a guy, he, he the guy told you he wanted you to hook, he wanted you to hook him up with somebody, he's like, I don't want to burn my bridge because I know you're not ready for that conversation. Yeah, yeah. You're not ready, you're not yeah. ready for that conversation. And it's the same thing, like, when you look at Instagram and Twitter and all the social media platforms, all these artists that are on there trying to promote themselves and the producers trying to promote themselves, like, nobody even really knows you within a three-block radius of your crib, but you think Willie Will or Greg Street is really going to pay attention to what you're doing because the first thing they're going to do is click on your page to see what you got going on. When they, click on your, when they click on your page to see what you got going on, the only thing you got going on on your page is you've been you can look at your page, your last 300 tweets is tweeting people that you think is known in the music business that they can pay attention to you and it's going to get you on. Right, and I, and I try to tell this, this kid in particular, I said, well, this is what this person's going to do. He's going to go to your pages. He's going to check your action. Do you have something for him? You can, you make music, but I'm telling you right everybody now. Everybody make music. I was about to say, I'm telling you right now, it's, it's everywhere. That shit is everywhere. Like, everybody got beats and raps and all that everybody shit. Everybody got songs. Everybody got songs. Everybody got beats. Everybody got music. But guess what? They don't have the knowledge. They don't know what to do with it. Yeah, yeah. So, and that goes back, like we said, read. Go ahead and read, man. It's okay. Don't, don't be afraid. Yeah, so, and, and, and it's not just... Reading is very important. The knowledge is very important. But then you also got to understand you got to assemble you a good team. And so you got to assemble you a good team. And you want to know as much as you can know because you got to understand once you become a successful artist, you're not going to have time to manage your career. 
You're not gonna have time. Like your career as an artist and your career as going to the studio and your personal stuff that you do, you need people to handle all that stuff. Even though you know how to do it, you're not yeah. gonna have the time to do right. it. You gonna have to pay. You gonna have to pay somebody to do that stuff. Yeah. But if you got the knowledge yourself, then at least you know how to direct them and make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right. You don't just go get somebody because you on their Twitter and you on their Instagram and you see, oh man, he managed Jay Z. Oh man, she she, she Beyonce's assistant. I need to get her. But you still need to know what they need to be doing. Right. So you basically saying. But in order for you to hire somebody correctly, you have to know the not you have to have knowledge in what they would be doing so you for can you. make the right choice. Exactly. Right. So we got you on. We launched him. So 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 and it all just goes back to education. Cause and I and I want this episode to be about that. Like Well, just, that's what that's why when you ask me about the program, that's why the We Need to Read program really focuses on a few different things. It's a few different angles. When you think about when you was going to school, when I was going to school, when anybody was going to school, when you're going to school right now. Everybody's talking about the issues, but nobody's coming with the answers. You know, you got these people, they coming to the schools, they got the Stop the Bullying Tour. Okay, but what's the answer? You're going to bring the artist in there to say, hey, how you doing, and sign an autograph. But the issue is, what's the answer to the bully? Yeah. What's the answer to the bu- what? What does the bully need to be doing to understand that he's doing wrong, he or she is doing wrong, and what do they need to be doing in order to take advantage of what's in front of them? And the it, the, the the whole issue is with the girl who thinks she cute. Everybody want to talk to her. All the boys want to get in her pants. For the little boys who think they cool, and they you know they, they that they they that dude. Yeah. And and for the dude who want to beat everybody up. And then for the person who think they the class clown, these are all issues and situations that they play into to avoid taking advantage of the educational system. Yeah, very that, true. That's their that's their thing. If I can beat everybody up at the school, I'm the bully. I'm the man. I'm gonna right. beat your ass. That's not the answer to that F you got in history. Yeah. Because we're not this 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 ain't this this ain't the WWE. This ain't the UFC. This ain't professional boxing. So that has you beating up everybody at school has nothing to do. Everybody want to get in your pants. That has only thing that's gonna get you is a be, be, to be probably be a baby mama by the time you get to be in the 19th, 11th grade. Yeah. And, and 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 if you that guy. The only thing that's gonna get you is being a baby daddy by the time you're in the 19th, 11th grade, 12th grade. So I see him all the time. I, I, because I, I went to school with all these people, but I was more or less the uncool kid because I was, I was into techie shit. I was into certain things. I wasn't, I couldn't dunk, and I wasn't into all that. You know what I mean? And I wasn't the hardest nigga. Right. So, but when I graduated, and I, as soon as that first thing I did was go on the road with Static, and I was on the road doing music, I was gone. And all of these people who were, quote-unquote, the cool kids are looking like, what the hell happened? It's because <clears throat> all that shit don't prepare you for the world. You know you what I mean? And then by the time you figure that out, it's too late. Yeah, and it's like, now all of these people are in my inboxes asking me what's up and how do they get down, but but I was a joke to them. You know what I mean? Right. I was funny. They was even, I was whack. Take your ass in the house and make beats, nigga. We out here on, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, We out here on the street. Yeah. We out here grinding. We finna go to the party. We yeah. about to go over here and get on these girls. Yeah, so. But, that, we, but when you go find them now, what are they doing? Right, niggas got niggas is either selling dope or working at Wendy's or some shit. And Cause it's by like, the time they figure it out, cause you gotta think, if I'm a drug dealer, and I've been selling dope since I was in high school or middle school, now, what if I would have really learned business and learned how to really do some real business? Because you gotta think, the the re, the, the re up in the dope game is totally different from the re up in business. All day. Most people in business they making fifty to hundred percent markup. You ain't making that in the dope game. Nah. Nah, <laughs> I'm trying to think what the markup is. You making like, you making like a 20 percent profit off of that dope you just bought. Yeah. And you got to sit out here all day to do it. You all day. I mean? so, You're in the trap all day. <laughs> yeah. So, but moving, so so moving along, because I wanna I wanna touch on like your radio background, because because anybody who knows you knows Greg Street knows this radio shit. You've been having it on lock for many moons, many 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 moons. But I think a lot of people. Uh, Miss the the okay. How did Greg get here? What's the backstory? Like, how did Greg Street? The backstory is I, I was in high school and um, I started DJing parties. My sisters, all of my sisters, and my one brother older than me. I'm the youngest. Okay, and and they're a lot older than me. So it's like they used to take me to concerts. They bought records. I used to play you mess with their records. So then I start I started DJing. Then I started DJing like well to, to go all the way back when I was like five or six years old. Um. My brother, my brother was in the military, okay. and he got messed up in the military, so he was on drugs. So he would take stuff to the pawn shop, and my mom would go get it before my dad found out he didn't did it. 
So we go to the pawn shop all the time. So I'd be in the pawn shop messing with the drums, messing with the <laughs> guitars. So when I was five years old, my mom bought me a guitar for Christmas. Mm. So when I got to be like six or seven, I went to Mississippi Music and I started taking guitar lessons. Okay. And um, then I, after that, in high school, I, I still toyed around with the guitar, but then I started DJing because I used my, my PV212 Classic guitar amp as my sound system to DJ with. Okay, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So <laughs> that was my little sound system. Yeah, I put it on the up, like, stage, yeah. put the turntables on, you know what I'm saying? And then I used to go, my, one of my, my middle sisters, she's third to the oldest, she, she's Catholic. So, and you know what the Catholic churches, they have like the center, the community centers where the kids yeah. go. So the older DJs would throw parties and they used to take me to the parties. Mm. So I'd be in there watching and looking and, you know, just looking at what they doing. They got all the big speakers and everything. I just had my little thing, right. but you know, this is at the turn of the century when the hip hop and stuff is coming in. Okay. And these guys are DJing with one turntable. They don't have a mixer. They letting the record stop and put another record on. Yeah. So I'm looking at what they doing. And then um, there's a, there was a radio station in New Orleans. In fact, I still, I, I be talking to the guy who used to be the program director on, on Facebook. Okay. And he was, it tripped him out a few years ago when I hit him because I was like, 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 you one of my idols. Like when I was a kid, like Barry Richards live from the famous in New Orleans on Well 105. He was the man. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? White guy. Yeah. But a lot of people don't know. He's one of the pioneers of this hip hop, the pop hip hop format. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And um, you can hear his radio station 90 miles away in my hometown of Hattiesburg. And I used to listen Damn. to it. And I used to listen to WDIA in Memphis with Arlene Terry and all those guys. I used to wonder, like, when people call in for a request, how do you get the record on so fast? Yeah. Like, you yeah, know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. So once I got into it, then I started learning all these things. Then um, when I started DJing parties in high school after the football games, I would go to um, the radio station. I started going to the radio station I figured out if I start advertising my parties on the radio, more people would come. Yeah. So I started going to the radio station. When I started going to the radio station. There was a guy who worked there. You know, it's a small town, so you got one guy that worked there most all the time, Harvey Knight. Um, after going there a few times, he's like, you know, I hear your name buzzing in the, in the community and stuff. You're doing a lot of stuff. As a kid, are you interested in doing radio? Mm. So he started training me to do radio. And I started doing it, then kind of find out the guy who owned the radio station, Vernon Floyd, was from, from Baldwin County, Alabama, the same place my mama from, and they went to school together uh-huh. at Mobile County Training School. Okay. But he learned radio in the military, and he built, he's the first black guy in the ever to build a radio station from the ground up himself and own it. What's his name again? Vernon Floyd. Vernon Floyd, okay. He's still living, he's still alive. But um, then after I worked there for a while, it was still a black station. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It was still a black station. You know, Mr. Floyd actually learned the radio from the military. He wasn't really a radio business person. Right. So he didn't have, like, a big sales staff. He did mostly everything himself because, mm. you know, black people, you know how we do. It's mine. I'm doing everything. I got my... Right. So yeah, after exactly that... how we do. Yeah. It was like the beginning <laughs> of the hip-hop, so they didn't really understand what I was trying to do. Like, they used to let us play instrumentals to the rap records. They didn't want us to play the rap songs on the radio. Damn. Okay, So what I did, I, I went to work for a white station. I went to work for a white AC station that played like, you know, Manhattan Transfer and ABC. Then they would play some of the Motown classics and Billy Joel and the Eurythmics and all that type of stuff. I went to work there and I was doing 7 to Midnight. And on the white station at 7 to Midnight, instead of being Greg, I was Keith Gregory. Okay. So that was my, my white boy name. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So, so, but being there, I learned so much because working at the black station, you only get a chance to read BRE and the, the black publications. But when right. I went to the white station, I got a chance to read like Gavin and R&R and R. And R. And then I started reading and studying people like Tom Joyner and Russ Parr because Russ Parr was actually Bobby Jimmy. He was rapping. Russ Parr was rapping? Yeah, Russ Parr was wow, Russ Parr Bobby Jimmy. You know Bobby Jimmy and the Critters? I didn't know that. That's crazy. They used to take out, make all the, the parody hip-hop records? Yeah, yeah. That's Russ Parr. Wow, wow. So, so I would... So I would study them. So <laughs> I worked there for a while. Then, um, and I was going to college. Then I went to Jackson, Mississippi. I went to Hines Junior College. I tried to get a job in Jackson. I think who was it? Paul Todd and all those guys in Jackson. Um, what was the, the main guy's name? I can't remember his name. Paul Todd was the main guy. Was another guy, Carl Haynes. They went. They were like, yeah, it's cool. It sounds good, but you know, it's, you know, they, they was thought they was a lot bigger. Yeah. Uh, Tommy Marshall was actually working at at Kixie, Him and Heavy Herb, and Heavy Herb had an interesting story because he's like he's he's uh, handicapped a little bit, but he was a big DJ, mm. and they had these billboards up called called itself the Million Dollar Mile for the Million Dollar Man. Okay. So I went. I went. You know, me being. And I'm a DJ. I'm like, in Jackson, Mississippi, how they paying this dude a million dollars? I went and did the research. And his, his contract was like, 
a million dollars for 20 years. Uh, so he got like $50,000 a year yeah, for 20 yeah, years. Yeah. And they call him the million dollar. So I'm studying all this stuff. Then I got to study, like I said, I studied Tom Joyner. So shortly after that, I left college. I left Heinz. I went back home. I was still DJing, you know, cutting grass, doing different stuff with my uncle. And then I, uh, one of the guys who worked with me at the black station at WRV WJMG was Tony Brown. Okay. Who eventually became one of the program directors of V103. Damn. Okay. But check this out. Tony had came to Hattiesburg after he graduated from college. Because he was from Chicago, but he had an aunt that lived in Hattiesburg. So Tony came to Hattiesburg, and he got a job at the station where I was at, at the black station. So he he left and went to North Carolina, one of the the Carolina stations. And then he left there and went to Mobile, which is where my mom is from. Right. So I went to Mobile. He he brought me, he knowing me from the other station where we started at, he brought me and a guy named Skip Cheatham to Mobile. He brought Skip first, then he brought me. Okay. Skip was doing afternoons. He was assistant PD. Then he brought me. I did overnights and stuff for a while. Then eventually, that was when all the urban stations was like 6 to 10, 10 to 3, 3 to 7, yeah. 7 to midnight. And the 7 to midnight guy was like the quiet storm person. Okay. So then when the hip-hop era came in, they switched it up to the four-hour shifts, 6 uh, to 10, 10 to 2, 2 to 6, 6 to 10. So he made me the 6 to 10 guy. So mm-hmm. that's where the whole Greg Street 6 o'clock started in Mobile at 93 BLX in like 88. So, 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 just to re- real quick, the six o'clock thing—that's some some you kind of started years ago. Oh, long and time it was, ago. And it was right when it changed the format, changed radio format, changed. Right. So you almost can say you're almost one of the pioneers of the whole six to ten slot. Right. Because when I go back to Louisville, when I go home, it's like still seven to twelve or some shit. Right. Like they still like, and they don't even. They pre-record everything. Like, they up there for 15 minutes and then they go like doing right. the club or something. Track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people doing that, but um. I was in Mobile from like 87 to 90. In 1990, Tony Brown got a job in Houston at Magic 102. Okay. Uh, Monty Lang was there, and a guy named, I can't remember the other GM's name, but Monty Lang was like a legendary general manager in urban radio from Detroit, JLB, and all that stuff. So he um, he wanted Ron Atkins to be the PD because him and Ron had been tight before, but the other general manager, because Monty was kind of retired, but he was still consulting the station, but the other general manager had found out about Tony. He wanted Tony. So they hired both of them. Ah, okay. So they made Ron like the PD, and Tony was like a PD slash APD. Okay. So Tony wanted me to come. And actually, you ain't going to believe this. Hurricane Dave was doing the 6 to 10 slot. He was the guy I replaced. Wow. At Magic 102 in Houston. Okay. Because Monty Lang had a joke like he told Hurricane, man, if, if I could trade DJ like a trade athletes, I'd be trading your ass to Pittsburgh right now <laughs> yeah. for two first round draft picks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was like a big joke after I got there, but Hurricane was already gone. So long story short, I worked there uh, at Magic in Houston. Um, and that was like when I had my first big six o'clock intro. Okay. I had some in Mobile, but the first big one was my mind playing tricks on me. The the, the week my, the week my mind playing the first day my mind playing tricks came out, Scarface did my mind playing tricks intro. Damn, so you that was the biggest that was that was the big one. Like everybody that really got everybody like going crazy. Like who is this guy? Then I had a lot of different freestyles from different artists and stuff. Uh, a lot of East Coast artists was coming around during that time. Damn. Like okay. I was like the first DJ to play DOS Effects in in the, in, the, in the South. Uh, D Nice. Um, we all in the same game. Chubb Rock. Um, of course, like all the Southern stuff, like Luke. And you had MC Thick in New Orleans, Greg D and DJ Manny Fresh. See, let me ask you this. Because you naming these names, these, these are pioneers. These are greats. But how do you... Because one thing about you that I always admired was that you turn with the times. Like, you you talking about... Man, I got pictures of me and Ice Cube and Yo-Yo in the parking lot of the Palladium, 5900 North Freeway in Houston in 1990. That's crazy. Right now. And then you got so many stories <laughs> like that. So, like, I was hearing stories like Pimp C used to come through. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um... Who else? Uh, I think you, know, you might have told me Rick Ross used to be over before he really blew all the Rick way Ross, up. Like, I, I did both of Rick Ross's first deals. Actually, I signed Rick Ross to Suave House. Okay. Do you remember when Suave was at yeah. Universal? Yeah. And then 8-Ball put the triple album out. Then then MJG came out with the album that had the That Girl on it. But yeah, that was, that was first. when I was, like, being molded as a little young beat nigga. But that was, Draper's, that, was, that was Draper's first projects on Universal after he had left Independent at Southwest Wholesale. Okay. Because, you know, the first, like, coming out hard. Well, he's not Southwest. Um, Selecto hits. Selecto hits was huge back so, then. So, so yeah. he that was his first projects. Those was like his kind of first projects on Universal. Okay. When he went to Universal, that was during the same time that Cash Money came to Universal. Okay. And the reason why Cash Money got their deal at Universal because during those days, every artist that was on Universal 
wasn't signed to Universal. They was all signed to somebody else. Ah, I see. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Every artist on Def Jam was assigned to Def Jam. You know, Def Squad, you had Def Squad. So all of these people were on production companies or entities exactly. of some sort. So what happened when the, um, I think when the Russians were coming in to buy Universal, they had no artists. Wow. So the, the next, never thought of it like the that. next biggest thing to, to, to no limit, which was the, the, had everything on lock back then, was cash money. Yeah. So cash money was able to negotiate a deal like no limit with a major because they had to have them. Like Michael Bivens had New Edition. Now yeah. Michael Bivens had Boys to Men. Yeah. Michael Bivens had Boys to Men, and that's how they. That's why they took Boys to Men from Michael Bivens. They basically told Michael Bivens, "Look, you could. I think it was like twenty-five million or thirty million. You could basically take this check, or we gonna take them from you anyway." Because so that, they needed artists on their catalog in order for the label to be worth the sale. And what is that called? Because I, uh, I had an artist on Universal. He was on Blackground Universal. But I remember the paperwork saying something inducement like... Inducement letter. Inducement letter, where, you, yeah. could, where you, you have the right to leave your production company and go with the major. Right. But Michael, the way Michael Bivens had new additions, the way Michael Bivens had Boys to Men set up, it was like that. You got to think, during that time, new edition was the biggest... I mean, Boys to Men was the biggest R&B yeah. on, on the planet. Shout out Michael Bivens, because, yeah. Yeah, so they gave, you know, Michael Bivens, got, he got that check. And then right after that, you know, of course, Boys to Men kind of fell off. They might have had one big successful project, but that just goes to show you that a lot of people don't understand that chemistry of what you come in the game I was about with. to say that, touch on that. Like, so they were on Michael Bivens' imprint. Right, he, he takes Biv 10. Biv 10, he lets them go ahead and go with Universal, they and they probably the wanted to, because they probably made some money in the Switch and all of that, but... Now you don't have your core with you who know who knows who you are, who, who believes in you and brought you up. So yeah, now you don't got that. That's all the vision from the start. Because I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you an interesting story. We was in New Orleans, Louisiana. Boys to Men had just came out. It was blowing up with the the the, um, the acapella song they had. Oh, the, uh, the first record, no, the Motown Philly. Motown Philly, the they did me an intro to that. They sang it in the they sang it in the hotel at the ballroom in Houston, at the hotel right next to Astro Stadium. Damn. I had I had a mini dat player recorder and I recorded them singing the MC Gray Street time to jam. So you had the fucking and it recorded to a digital audio tape. Yeah, I had a dat I had a dat recorder, a mini dat recorder. Them shits was like hundreds of dollars. Oh, they was the a lot. Yeah, like you couldn't. But just I had go met Jermaine Dupree. Jermaine Dupree had one. Okay. I had met Jermaine at Magic when he had Silk's Time Leather. Okay. And he when he came to the radio station, he had one. So I, I got one. And then when Boys to Men finally came out, I had it and I recorded them. But to make a long story short, we were in New Orleans. It was a BRE convention. I never really went to a lot of conventions, but it was like in New Orleans. It was during the time when I had left Magic and I was getting ready to go to Dallas. I went to the convention and they had a they had a young they had, it was called the Young Guns panel. I will never forget it. It was Michael Bivens, Keith Sweat, and Puffy. Mm. Puffy was the A and R at Uptown at the time. He had just got the job being at Uptown. He was like, okay. yo, I'm looking for new artists. Y'all come to my room. I'm in room, blah, blah, blah. I'm looking for I'm looking for it. If you hire, I'm looking for it. I'm looking for it. Yeah. But somebody asked Michael Bivens this question on the panel in New Orleans at the Young Guns panel in like, 90, like 91, 92. They asked him, do you think, what was the question? It was something like, if you think, do you think if, if Michael, if Boys to Men wouldn't have wore them plaid pants, would would they be as hot as they are right now? And Michael Bivens' question, his answer to the question was, every element of this, every element that we put into this group, made this group who they are, from the songs to the production to the plaid pants, right? <laughs> to, the, to everything they did. He was like, you know, everything. And Mike, Mike is smart. Like he understood that at an early age, like. From being in New Edition and seeing what how Maurice Starnham had groomed them and put them in the game, he was the person. He was the one in New Edition who understood what New Edition was really about as a business. Right. And he he created the same thing basically in in Boys to, in Men. Boys to Men and it was the in same BBD. Setup. Yeah. And, and, and it, so because I remember my homeboy Rob Jackson, he was on Divine Mill with KG and them, and it was right. kind of like the same situation. They was on their deal was with Arista, yep. And then when Arista folded up and they, everybody went to Jive. So when they went to job, I think the clips went, and you know all of Outkast went or something, and they but they didn't take, they only took Jaheim, so they only took who they wanted from Divine Mill, and right. he ended up getting caught up in that transition. And I remember the clips career never I being think the it was same. Brownstone on that label, might have been, might have been. I I can't remember. I know they had Jaheim though. He was like their cash cow for right. sure. But I remember him telling me how he, him and Pusha T was real close, and how they were really just upset with. Going to jive because everybody who loved them was already in the other building. Right. And then when they got to the other label, they just didn't have that same support. 
Yep. You know what I mean? And people be, you know, people ask me all the time, like, what happened? You know, niggas don't be knowing like that support is very important. Yeah. Like, when you look at even like with sports, when you look at when you look at black quarterbacks, a lot of black quarterbacks don't get the notoriety that they should get because they don't get that pat on the back from the coach. They don't get that pat on the back from the owner. Because if you black, it's automatically understood. You got to be the best. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You, you can't be a black Matt Ryan or a black Tony Romo. Or black, they would have been cut the, long time ago. Uh, what's the white What's the white boy from uh, <laughs> Washington right now? Greg, get a big check again. What's his name? Kirk Cousins. Yeah. It's like he's, he's regular. Yeah. You know what you, I mean? When, when you're black, you can't be regular. Yeah, yeah. You can't be regular. So people don't understand when you're on the outside looking in. They think because of this or because of that. That's why you, that's why you are where you are. That's why you didn't make it. They don't be understanding sometimes those extra pats on the back and them extra conversations. Like, you know, just imagine what Michael Vick would have been if he'd have had that extra conversation with somebody who could have told him that he could have confided in and been able to tell him way long a time ago before it happened. Like, man, you Michael Vick, bro. You, 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 you. You the biggest quarterback in the game right now. You don't need to be messing with no dog fight. Michael Vick experience is one of the biggest. I, I couldn't believe. Like that was the coldest. You know what I mean? That commercial was so raw. Michael Vick was larger than life. But there's a, there's a lot of them though. You gotta think. I'm from Hattiesburg. That was one before R R Michael Vick. I'm from Hattiesburg. That was it was a guy from the Gulf Coast, from the, almost from the same hometown as Brett Favre, named Reggie Collier. Okay. I the Cowboys like drafted him. He was dope. He was dope, but it was like his head got big once he got in the league and he didn't have them people around him to make him understand what what was going on with the game. You know what I'm saying? You gotta you gotta really understand like people be talking about being humble and, and being nice and being cordial. All that plays a part in, in it, but it's really all about understanding the game and understanding why it's important to be that way. You gotta understand why you gotta have a certain mind frame. You just can't have somebody tell you that. Yeah, you got to yeah. understand what it's about. Set a mouthful then. Yeah, a lot of people, because Willie Will told me this. No, you got to understand what Willie Will is trying to tell you. Like, you really got to go do some research as some people who've done this. Go research 10 or 20 people, then you can understand why the ones who didn't do it are where they are and what and why the ones who did do it are where they are. Straight up. and that Because and, that's important to me. Like, I, I really, because I... I know the music industry is a young man's game, but I'm I'm so about the culture and moving it forward. I, I want to find the new young dudes. I know but what See, that's at. a big mistake. That's a big misconsumption, man. That Like, it's a young man's game. Everybody says that. Everything is a young man's game. But when you look on the other side of the world, when you look at the white world, when you look at the Asian world, when you look at the Jewish world, they don't look at it like that. Of course, the talent is young, and a lot of stuff is young on the talent side, but then there's still... The, the the 25 and the 30 and the 40 plus people still got they artists still got their artists too you gotta think you if, if you country and western keep my ear to you got everybody from a young what's, what's polo artists I know you ain't making this shit up this shit you don't no, the you don't country things country. happen on the street the street proof is hard to come by I can go get a young artist and develop him. So that's the that's the that's the knowledge of somebody who got the experience teaming up with somebody who think think they got the talent to be able to put it together. And one can't function without the other one. So it's just a game. Yeah, <laughs> it's not an old man game or a young man game or a girl game or a lady game. But that's how they do us in our community because they put us. We've always been put against each other. Like I was talking to somebody on somebody made a comment online the other day, cause sometimes I post some some ratchet on my Instagram and people will talk about it. And the only reason why I do that is because I want those people to talk. Because once they start talking, then I go back and look at we need to read. I go back and look at summer camp. I go back go back and look at the positive. They never comment on that. Yeah. Yeah. But if you do something wrong, you do something negative, you do something ratchet, or they the first person people to jump up. So I was and right before they did it a couple days ago, my general manager at the station. He sponsored one of the kids. He hired one of the kids and we need to read. Okay. And I was telling him, I was like, you know, I was telling him like, Rick, like, we really need people like you in the community to be a part of social media. Because yeah. the reason why everything is focused on the negative is because that's all they see. Because the people, you got to think, everybody who's in law enforcement, everybody who's like a lawyer or a doctor or a judge or if they manage a corporate, a, a corporation like a Foot Locker or if they manage, like you know, like a Macy's Corporation, if they made if they if they manage like a movie studio, if they manage something big, 
they're not really involved in social media. That's true. And I, I you know what I'm saying? I so it's like that. if you're not if, if you're not showing the world the content of what it takes to be positive and all the, and everybody's posting all the negative, that's what the kids are gonna see. So you talking, uh, you talking, and you addressing the problem, but you really being even more part of the problem because you're not participating. And if this is what everybody's doing, and you're not doing it, if this is what all the kids are looking at, and you're not participating, you're just the biggest part of the problem. As the, as the girls shaking their ass on Instagram. So, do you think the because it sounds like a, a give take where it's like they're probably not involved because of how ratchet it is? No, no, no. But, but listen, what I'm telling you. You remember when Twitter first started and I started tweeting, I used to tweet about the music business and give people gems and I would do every Sunday, do the seven day without prayer makes one week. Yeah, I remember that. That's how I built my inst- my Twitter following. I didn't build it on posting ratchet stuff, posting strippers. Or right. post- you know what I'm saying? Same thing with Instagram. But w- when you, you could do a thousand things right, but if you do one thing like this, they gonna come out. Yeah, But it, I, But normally when you go to these people's pages, they have no following, they don't post nothing. And they don't understand. If you just post quality content about what you do two or three times a week, if you're in law enforcement, if you're a doctor, if you're a nurse, if you if you're in agriculture, if you in if you're in the construction, if you into electronics, if you into designing, if you into any of these different things that you think kids want to I don't care if you're out there building the freeway. Yeah. You could have been one of the construction workers out there building the freeway when the freeway yeah, the 85 got burnt up in Atlanta. Yeah. People want to see that. Yeah. Little kids want to see that. They want to think about that. Oh, if you're a tr- if you're on a garbage truck, if you're the trash man. <laughs> so you feel like it's just a matter of them not having access to it. Like they don't see it. They don't so see if it. They saw it. So if all you see, if if the majority of everything you see on the internet is negative, like I was explaining this to somebody once, and you've never thought about this. Think about all the little kids you see fighting on social media. Yeah. Why you think they fighting? Of social media. They fight to be on social media. Yeah. <laughs> me and you fighting, and he videotaping. Yeah. Me and you, we we partner. Ain't no ain't no crowd around. Yeah. It's four or five of us fighting, and, and he, vid- he videotaping us. We all friends. Why we fighting? So we can get on World Star. Yeah. Because nobody's telling us that you like in design. You, you like video games. You should maybe learn how to design video games. You know, they got people right now that's got professional video game teams that's they, they making money. Steve Aoki and um and, and uh, Mark Cuban Shaq and Shaq, they all got these, they developing this this professional video game league where they gonna be playing video tournaments, video game tournaments for two, three hundred thousand dollars for the winners. That's crazy. I didn't even know that was going on. It's I'm going about to look on. Into that. I'm right about to look into so it's that. like tell this little kid who like video games, hey, you can do it. You know, learn how to take geometry in school so you can learn. Like at Conyers Middle School, they got a they got a, a, a video game design class. But guess wow. what the class really is? What geometry? Right, right. <laughs> it's really a geometry class. Yeah. But on paper, and to the kids, they think they taking video game design, which they are. Right, right. right. You know what I'm saying? But it starts with this. It and then they found a way. I like that. That's a good creative way to get them into so, it too. So, so a lot of these people that do all this negative, that talk about all this negative stuff that's successful, they never come back to the hood. They never come back to the community. That's why they can't really vision or fathom. I'm at the gas station, and a little boy, 15, 16 years old, pull a pistol on me and take my car. A little boy, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, pull a pistol on me and take my purse or rob me. They, 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 they like shop, but they don't understand like, 10, and 10, 11, 12-year-old little boys got pistols. Yeah. 10, 12, 11-year-old boys using drugs. Like, they can't really, they can't relate to that. Yeah, no. Nah. Because they're not a part of it. Yeah. But you'll sit back and say, ooh, damn, look yeah. what they doing. <laughs> but if, if I'm successful and I live in the community, but my kid go to school out the community, <laughs> yeah. really, what, are you, what am I doing? Yeah. I'm not even really conscious. I think I'm conscious, but I'm really unconscious of what I'm doing. So they say the schools over here, grades are terrible, but guess what? What percentage of the kids at this school in the hood go to school out of their district so they can, so they can quote unquote, parents trying to get them a quality education? Damn, man, I never thought about so, it like that. So I you think you're smart, but you're also a part of destroying the hood. Right. So now the school that's down the street from the house, they don't close that shit down or it's underpopulated or something weird. I had a, the some, test scores is down. Test scores so now is the down. governor wants to come in and take over the schools. Yeah. Because your kid is over here making straight A's and making this school look good, but the school you right next to your crib, the school right next door to your crib is, is, is in turmoil because everybody just like you driving their kids out of district every day. Saying yeah. they live over here with their grandmama. So, so let me ask you this, and I don't, I don't want to open up Pandora's box. 
because you, you you know we stay in Vine City right now, and and I'm it's like a project for me. I look around, I'm looking at these these churches. You got church on every corner, next to the bandos, next to the dope fiends, next to the, what do because because you we from the same era of these churches were used to be the cornerstone, just like the barbershops, just like the schools. So it's like I see these churches, but I don't see them doing nothing for the neighborhoods. It's a music podcast, but I just want to touch on that as well because. I see them taking money from the community, but I don't see them putting it back into the community. Some, think- some, some of the churches put money back into the community, but I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna tell you what I wrote a book touching on that. I wrote a book. I'm gonna put it out. It's called Greg Lynch. It's like the alter ego, my alter ego as Greg Lynch as being the black version of Willie Lynch. Okay. And basically, what you what you're saying is this, but this is what people don't consciously think about. Before drug dealing became popular, the ministers, the dude who owned the corner store, the dude who had the little car lot the dude who had the record store, the dude who had the gas station, the guy who happened to be the black commissioner, the guy who was the manager, the, the guy who had the, the, the drug store in the community before Walmart, before Walgreens came out and came in the hood and bought all the small drug stores and shut yeah. them down. All these people were the tastemakers. Mm. The drug game blew up and the dope boys riding around in the cars and they got the girls, they got the chains. That took all of the all of that the, that took all of the shine away from the people in the community that was doing okay. the work and the positive stuff to make the community look good and that the kids looked up to. Right. Not all the kids looking up to the drug dealers because yep. they pulling up in the Benzes. They pulling up in the Porsches. They pulling up in the BMWs. Not so it a, became not cool. So something replaced it right. on the cool, yeah. Right. It made it uncool. So yeah. that's why when you look in the community, it looks so crazy. But then on the flip side of that, on the flip side of that, that's I posted some on my, on my IG a few weeks ago and everybody got mad. We was talking about Jay-Z. I'm like, Jay-Z album is dope, but I don't want to hear, like some of the young kids who don't get it, it's cool, but I don't want to hear Jay-Z talk about how much dope he cooked no more. Yeah, yeah. Like you ride through the hood, you see these crackheads, you see these people that's 50 and 60 years old that's drug, that's drug addicts. Like, this what you proud of? You proud to say you did this? You proud to say you that's was a part of shit, this? Man. Yeah. You bragging about it? It's cool. <laughs> so, so when he gets ready to say, you, you're yeah, in go the ahead, future, go, go ahead and yeah. go, go ahead and go all the way over there. Yeah, go all the way there. Like, do do it. Like, you got the ability, you got the lyrics, you got the knowledge, you got the brain. Go ahead and do it. We ready for that. Yeah, go, we ready for that. Go ahead and leave that alone. Yeah, and be that guy. Yeah, because the, yeah, because the, the kid that the kid that want to hear uh, a YFN Lucci or Future. Or a young thug, a rich homie Quan, why NBA young boy talk about it? They don't want to hear you talk about it. Right, it's very true. They don't want to hear you talk about it. It's like an oxymoron. It's like you, yeah. I never thought of it. Like, I never thought of it like that. But really, Jay Z, you ain't no better. Like it, it makes you not any better than these people Listen, that you're talking man, about. If you go downtown and you see people crackheads, you see crackheads ages 35, 40 to 50, 60 and up. If you were selling crack during that time, you are resp- you are responsible for what you produced. You are responsible for the results of what you and you did that so you can get a chain and a car. A yeah. lot of people did. A lot of people didn't re- invest their money into their music career like Jay Z did. Right, right. A lot of them went to jail. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So like a lot of them went to jail. So you you really did it all just to tear the community down. Yeah, and then it still ain't re- all the way fully recovered from it, and it's like it's crazy. Cause but see, it's gonna be hard to recover from it because the people that are smart that moved out of commu- out of the co- the community don't come back. Yeah. All they do is talk about what's going on. They don't come back. So solution wise, what would it, it, coming from the mind of Greg Street? What what do you think some of the plan of action could be to just start restoring some of this? We have to consciously start thinking about what we say and what we do. I'm not perfect, mm-hmm. but I try to think. And, and try to really figure out how I can have an impact or how I can really help somebody or how I can really help somebody change or help somebody move in a direction or help somebody who's almost there, help them try to get where they're trying to go. Yeah, so so so, so really it just sounds to me like putting that bridge and that gap back together and then just interaction between the generations and, and people really coming together and getting on the same page. Like, yeah, of course. Because I'm, I'm one of them people where I was extremely into the OG thing. Like, I really like to sit around my old heads and sit and soak up game. Right. And, and I believe... Me too. That, That's how I got into it. Yeah, and I, and I believe that there's still some kids out here who I like that. I just think there's nobody presenting themselves, like you said, with that, you know, being that vessel for them. Right. So, so solution-wise, I definitely think, you know, I think things like We Need to Read 
and 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 things like this podcast because I I want to educate people on the music business the way that I the way that I took it in like the real way every nitty gritty of it we we you know like press up your own music get it out yourself so that you know how distribution works so that, you know what I mean so I think going all the way back to the beginning is education and it's really a getting to, getting to be educating each other do we got any live questions. All outlets, everywhere. SoundCloud, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, email, uh, Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes. Just listen to what people talking about, listen to what's going on, watching what's going on. I mean, it's, it's no certain go-to place right now. You know, it's everywhere. People might hand you a CD. People might hand you a USB drive. I would, I would stress, if you're a new artist, have your music available everywhere you can have it. Yeah. Because if you got a thousand songs in your computer, if you got 50 songs in your computer, if you got 25 songs in your computer and you record a lot, in three or four weeks, them songs are going to be old. In three or four in four, three or four weeks, let me rephrase that. In three or four weeks, those songs are going to be old to you. Yeah. So, so I would advise you to put that music everywhere you can put it. You know what I'm saying? Stop worrying about people stealing from you. Stop <laughs> worrying about people taking stuff from you. Because guess what? Polo... Hill figure, all these people, Timberland, FUBU, all these brands, Nike, Jordan, all these brands got popular because people wanted it. People started stealing it. People started reselling it. That's that, that's how you get on. That's crazy. I never even looked at it like that, but the, <laughs> the bootleggers blow you up too. Yeah, of course. Like, yeah. So it's like bootlegging, bootleggers, is, bootlegging is like, I used to tell people all the time, bootlegging, the bootlegger is your best street team. You ain't got to pay them. Yeah. They gonna go out and make their own money. Yeah. <laughs> You know yeah. what I'm saying? And if you're dumb, they might make more than you. But guess yeah. what? They spent more than you because you're sitting over here with the music in your computer thinking, I'm dope and everybody's going to find me because I'm good. The world don't see what you see when you look in the mirror. You got to figure out wow. how you're going to sell yourself. Like, when you look at Beyonce and you wonder why they're doing everything they do, you look at Jay, you look at Khaled, you look at Future, you look at Quan, you look at you look at Thug, you look at uh, Migos, you look at Uzi Vert. You look, any, any artist that you look up, Chris Brown, you wonder why they doing all the stuff they do on social media, they promoting it, because the world does not see what you see when you look in the mirror. That's a mouthful right there. I don't know if y'all Coca -Cola, heard that. Coca-Cola didn't sell 20 cases of Coke the first year they opened. I don't even think they sold 10. Damn. So you got to, you got to, you got to understand, you got to, it's, you got to be able to sell yourself. Like, when you watch American Idol or you go to showcases, everybody get on American Idol, Everybody get in a showcase. Everybody get on stage. Everybody write a song. Everybody make a beat. Everybody get go to the booth and sing a rap. Think they think they dope. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you sit back and be like, man, I'm doper than him. How when, when Soldier Boy came out, man, how Soldier Boy get on? I'm doper than him. My, DJ Smurf with Kylie Park actually passed on Soldier Boy the year before he signed Soldier Boy. Mm. A whole year later. Yeah. He came back and re-signed him. Soldier Boy was living in Batesville, Mississippi. Po population of Batesville, probably 15,000 people, 25,000 at the most. He had five or six million fans living in Batesville, Mississippi, because he figured out a way how to work the internet. Soldier Boy was like the first viral success in music, period. Not just white, not black, not urban, not hip-hop, not R&B, not country, period. To add to that, I remember DJ Mormile is up here. And he told me the story how they signed it. He said when he went to the meeting at Interscope to play the song, he had, didn't even know what he looked like. He said he played. Remember the SpongeBob Soldier Boy crank that video? Yeah. He said he played that in the meeting. It's like we signing this shit right here. And people, you know, they looking around at each other. You know how they do? They looking around like what? He's like, I don't even know what the kid looks like. We signing this kid off this video right here. This shit is going crazy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that just that changed the game forever. People people won't give him credit for it, but I'm trying to think of the guy's name from Memphis. Damn, it's. I'm looking at him. I think his name is Larry. Larry? What's the dude's name? He wore glasses, he's DJ. But he had, when, when Soulja Boy had the Bathe and Ape song first, he came to Smurf with that. He told Smurf, like, dude, I'm telling you, this dude big, this dude gonna be big, man. You need to mess with him. All the kids messing with him. All the kids messing with him. A year later, he came back. Our lawyer called Washington had some kids, and they like in that same little age group. Yeah. They was like, yeah, he hot, he hot, daddy. Y'all need to get him. And, and Smurf, went, they, went to, they got in the car, went to Baseville, went to meet with him, signed him. You remember the video of him being in the store talking about he just signed this deal? Yeah. And, and like, but people didn't see it. 
Like, people don't understand, like, we can sit around and see what say what's whack and blah, 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 and all this and all that, but guess what? If the public likes it and the public is buying it, people are going to put it out. No, I remember being in the room next to where we at, and there's a prominent DJ who has artists who I just like this now, was in there talking about how trash it was, how Interscope is just trying to get in the game, yep. and how, you know what I mean, I would never, what are they doing? And then you fast forward all these years, and they all over the radio and all over the world with yep. with something that Soulja Boy basically created with that with that damn song on YouTube. You know what I mean? On YouTube and MySpace. Yeah, I remember, because we did a remix for it. We, that got views. Yep. Just off the remix, just this I kid. Did the re, I did the remix to the one I did right here in this studio, and it actually was with Carrie Hilson. It went number one in London. Remember the girl from London that did the, uh, the Jay-Z sign? Eventually, she performed it on the um, on the, on the, um, the, the European version of, 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 uh, of uh, American Idol. Her name was Cher, Cher something. I remember that. She performed it. And she said, I'm going to perform the Carrie Hilson remix of Soulja Boy, Turn My Swag On. And the next day, after that show aired, that Greg Street remix of Turn Your Swag On with number one on iTunes in the UK. I remember you had that shit going crazy. You, you always do like little slick shit like that. Like people don't know, you when you, you had something to do with Travis Porter before they really yep. got out of the way, Young bitch. Jock. I did the, motor, the motorcycle dance. That was all mine. See, and people don't know, like that's why me and you would talk every morning. Cause we don't, people don't know like this, Greg Street is pivotal and and, and you know how to stay in out the way. Like you know how to do it. Oh, you gotta it. stay out the way. You know how to do it and then let everybody believe it was something else and something else, but you on to the next thing doing it again. Right. You know what I mean? So that's one thing I was admired about you if I never said it. It's like, like you knew who I was and then you knew who all the other little Kentucky niggas was but then you also knew who was about the, who was the biggest nigga and you, and you know what I mean you would take chances on that right. like just to tell a quick story when we did the I Got A Dollar shit Polo wasn't trying to sign that shit when he went out on vacation you slid in the room with us like look I'm telling you do this do that and then he came back and the song was going up Yep. And he had to do it. Yep. You know what I mean? And it was I like took it to the radio station. Yeah. <laughs> we did the six o'clock remix of it. Yep. And it went straight up. And I'm pretty sure just the same formula you just told me on the uh, with the boys the men shit. It's the yep. same shit. It's the same formula. Just like you said, um, Jermaine Dupree had the DAT recorder. Yep. And, and I remember you was the one who put me on the flip phone. I mean the flip cameras. Yep. The same way. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like if you 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 be an asshole not to pay attention to this. You know what I mean? It's like a lot, but 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 I don't I don't really I don't really talk about it a lot. Because, like, because I'm, I'm a DJ. I don't look at myself as being a, a celebrity, so I don't really talk about it a lot. Because if you're not really trying to be in that celebrity space, people don't really care. Right. You know what I'm saying? They yeah. really don't care. I go through that all the time. Because, because we, we as a people, we don't, we look at something from the outside looking in and think we can figure it out. You know what I'm saying? We look at the results. We look at the answers. We look at the final destination. We don't go back and look and be like, okay. Like, I knew you was from Kentucky. I knew all this before I even met you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I went and did my research. Yeah. I do that on everything. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Late at night, early in the morning, I'm on my computer, but I've always been like that. Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, going to school, like I told you, when I was early as a kid as a DJ, I read about Tom Joyner. I read about Russ Parr. When I moved from Houston to Dallas, Tom Joyner, <coughs> Tom Joyner was like, I'm going to tell you this quick story that's crazy. And a lot of people in the industry don't know this. Tom Joyner became the fly jock because what he did, he signed two contracts. Remember when football players used to do that? Yeah. Football players used to sign two contracts and then the other team would have to buy the other team out. Damn. So Tom signed a contract with GCI Chicago to do afternoons and he signed a contract with K104 in Dallas to do mornings. Damn. But both stations were owned by different people just like the football teams. Okay. So the radio station was like, you signed the contract. I ain't buying them out. They ain't buying me out. You gonna have to do it. <laughs> so you gonna have to go to Chicago every day and come back, come back to Dallas every day and do it. So he did it, and that that's how he became the fly job. So I, but I, but I went and did my homework to, as a kid. You know what I'm saying? I'm 18, 19, 20 years old, and I'm knowing all this. So, when, but when I moved to Dallas to K104, which is where the MC Breed Six O'clock intro came from. Tom Joyner was the job that introduced me to Dallas on the morning show. And to add to that, when I first moved to Atlanta, that's what you was doing. You was you was doing both. I remember you was doing the weekends up here still, yeah. and you was doing Dallas. And you yeah. was and I remember thinking, same when you was thinking about how they paying this nigga a million dollars. I remember thinking, how's he doing that? Like, I don't know if I was just different. I don't know why I was thinking about what you was doing because <laughs> I didn't want to be in radio, but I was listening to the radio a lot, and I'm like. 
he's and then somebody said, nah, he do Dallas too. And I'm like, how? Like, how? And he's like, he's commuting like that. He's yeah. really going back and forth. Yep. And these it's dudes who don't want to get out the couch. You know what I mean? I'm like, bro. You think you... they dope? I'm yeah. dope. I'm dope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I flew back and forth from Dallas to Atlanta every week. I, I moved to Atlanta from Dallas in 95. I was in Dallas from 92 to 95. I moved to Atlanta in 95. After seven years, I want I moved, I wanted a little change. So I moved back to Dallas. But but well, V103 still wanted me to be here, so I worked here on the weekends. I, I did it every week for three years for the whole country, the length of the contract. Damn. And I missed two weekends out of all three years. That's crazy. And that was the only, only reason why I missed those weekends coming to Atlanta, because it was car show weekends. Mm. So it wasn't vacation. It wasn't, you know, working. play, play. It wasn't no sick day. <laughs> yeah, it was, not. you know, car and bike show was going on in Dallas on a Saturday, so I couldn't. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Load in on a Saturday, shows on Sunday, so I couldn't fly out. So they kind of bike show thing, because they do one here now. So you pretty much brought that idea from what you was doing in Dallas, and now right. they're doing the V103 one. Well, actually, the one in Houston that started in Houston in, like, 91, I, I took it to the box. I took it to Robert Scorpio. Damn. Okay. And then, then when I was in Dallas, I was doing the Los Most difficult show with some Latin kids who was doing that. Then I, then I started doing my own urban version mm. with the Celebrity Car and Bike Show. And, um... Joe Martin, I met Joe Martin with Martin Brothers when they did, they had just did the Discovery Channel, but it hadn't even, the bike build-off, it hadn't been on TV yet. But I bought the, 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 the first bike, the orange and silver bike that won the first Discovery bike build-off, I brought that to the car show, and that's why I actually met Tim, who's from ACC Performance, who, um, who built my Chevelle. He had brought one to the car show that he had built for one of the Dallas Cowboys. Damn, and, and, and that's another thing, too. Before we, well, before we go to the live, because you into the... The car thing, and you in, into the MC thing too, like with the bike, with the bikes and oh, stuff yeah. too. Sneakers, motorcycles. Oh yeah, we ain't even talk about the sneaker shit. I don't even know how we didn't do that. So, so just tell people about how did you even get into that? Because, because it's like, first of all, people don't know you like an avid collector. Like, I, you you could go to Greg's crib right now, and you might see a No Limit promo tee. I'm about to do might, a book with that. You might do. Somebody a, did one in New York. I'm about to do one. I'm gonna take all of my vintage, um, all of my vintage uh, t-shirts, jackets, hats promo stuff from the record industry from, from the 80s all the way to 2017. I'm going to do a book. Somebody in New York did one, but it's mostly just the New York stuff. But, like, I got, like, the New I got the New York stuff and the down south stuff. Yeah, because I'm sitting there like, damn, you literally on top of the shoe thing, you got, I mean, you put up, I mean, one day when the Grand Theft Auto first was getting big, you had the Grand Theft Auto Xbox. Oh, it yeah. was, like, number 12 out of 50 or something. Oh, yeah, shit. limited edition Xbox. Yeah, yeah. It, had the, it had the game built in it with the artwork on the side. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, and it's like you, and then the sneaker thing is just as big, well, bigger, more than like, well, you know people, what I mean? A lot of people, they, they look at these kids, man, they be running around talking, man, these kids spend all this money on these sneakers, blah, blah, blah. Man, people don't know this, Will. Outside of Nike, Jordan, and Adidas, no other sneaker brand makes more money than the kids who resell sneakers. Wow. No other brand wow. outside of Nike, which is Nike and Jordan mm -hmm. combined, and Adidas. No other sneaker brand makes more money than the, than the kids who go buy the hot sneakers and resell them. And then that's what the people that be talking, this the real kicker that they don't understand. These sneakers that we got that's worth $2,500, $5,000, $10,000, $15,000, dollars $30,000, most of these sneakers that's worth, that's worth that kind of money, they were given to us as gifts. They like friends and family sneakers, like yeah. Eminem Jordan 4s. Right, I remember, you, I remember you had those. That was yeah. one of the first ones. He like, signed yours, right? You no, know, Paul Rosenberg signed Rosenberg. the card that he sent yeah. me. But those are, those are sneakers that were made for promo. The Wu Tang Dunks. If you if you were one of the first people to get them, they gave them to you. Yeah. The Source Air Force Ones, the Vibe Air Force Ones. If you got a pair of those sneakers when they first got gave them out, you got them for free. So they it's, it's almost like saying the old man who bought the the, the nineteen seventy Chevelle or the old man who bought the 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 the, the sixty nine Charger or the Challenger or the old man who bought the 55 Bel Air that's worth a hundred grand that he paid thirty five hundred dollars for. <laughs> you ain't even you not but see these people think they conscious. Yeah. That's what I'm telling you. They think they smart. Yeah. They don't understand how consciously dumb they are. Yeah. Like, yeah. if I can go buy a pair of Jordans for two hundred dollars and sell it for five hundred, bro, you got kids on release date. There's a kid in Miami named Benjamin Kicks. His parents basically, gave, when he when, it, when his parents found out about this, what he was doing, they basically gave him a, a, a black card. They said, go get to it. Go get to it. He done made, probably, probably, he done probably made millions of dollars. He don't even have a store. 
He sell them online. That shit is on amazing. his Instagram page, on his website. See, to me, that's how you use social media. That's how you you take advantage of that but, shit. But see, the people who don't really know how to do it, who's, who, oh, I ain't on social media. I don't do that. I ain't on that. But guess what? You don't even really know how you could grow your own business. I got a homeboy, Alton Spalding, who used to be one of the GMs at Pope Chevrolet on, on Memorial Drive. His son sells cars at his dealership. Damn. His son is the number one salesman at the dealership from posting pictures of the cars they sell on his Instagram. But people don't understand that. They think ain't nobody on Instagram got follows and likes, but the girls who shaking their ass or the dudes and people on there fighting or the or people on there making fun of somebody. They don't understand that there's people on there that pay attention to quality content. You may not get as many views, but you get quality views. Yeah. Like, I could go on my Instagram and show you a picture that might not have 100 likes, may not have 20 comments. But if I push the insight, you'll be like, Damn, this many people looked at this, but they didn't even acknowledge it? Yeah. Impressions. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like they don't understand. Like a lot of people don't understand in their business, they they can use social media to improve on their business. They can use social media to improve their sales. They can use social media for so many different ways, but because so many people use it the wrong way, they think that's the only way to use it. Right. Like what you got to think about is if it's so popular from people using it the wrong way, the reason why you're not popular on there because most people like you don't use it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, Instead it's, of thinking that they just ain't gonna be fucking with you because you don't know ignorant shit, you should just get on there because actually you'd be surprised. You never know. Yeah. That, that one of them few people that that follow your page, you never know what you may inspire them to do. One person, you may change one person's life with your positive content. That, and that's that's all we are here to do is impact lives at the end of the day. Well, you know what I mean? Me personally, that's that's my goal in life. You know what I mean? Like I just want to impact people, and then like you know, get, make people think a different way if if it can be possible. You know what I mean? Hey, hey do we have another live question before we, we do. Um, before we get out of here? DJ Price just wanted to know what's the best route to getting your record on the radio. Get it hot. People gotta want to hear it. For independent artists, if you want your record on the radio, let me, I'm, I'm gonna make this statement and I'm gonna put this in perspective. Cause everybody thinks they can pay to get their record on the radio and they can do this, they can do it. I'm gonna tell you the best way to get your record on the radio. Get your record hot. Make people want it. If you don't have the budget to be everywhere, go to the places that you know people like your type of music. If you make hood music, don't go to the compound. You know what I'm saying? Go to Lacura, go to Crucial, go to the hood spots. Go to go to Blue Flame, go go to uh, Blaze, go to the places where you know people like your type of music. That's the foundation, cause it's gonna grow from there. Yeah. You gotta think back in the day before social media, when Too Short came out, everybody across the world knew who Too Short was, even if you had never heard a Too Short record. You heard a Too Short because everybody was talking about them, so you wanted to hear what the talk was about. So it's like. And when you think about your face, you in the game, you sitting there thinking, man, if Greg Street just play my record, I'm gonna be out of here. That's I'm what be- they be thinking, boy. But they don't understand. All of your favorite artists that you like, Rich Homie Quan, Young Thug, NBA Young Boy, um, all the uh, Kevin Gates, all the hood artists that you like. When you, you can take it back to Boosie and Webby, UGK, you can go all the way back to the Ghetto Boys, you can go back to Biggie, all these artists. You did not hear these artists' records first on the radio. They created a demand for themselves. So what you need to study is how do I create myself an underground demand for my music? If I'm not R&B first, if you R&B, you need to be trying to get on a major label. Yeah, because it's a whole nother <laughs> That's a idea whole nother ball that. game. Yeah. <laughs> but if you, if you are an artist, if you are a rapper, the question for you is, how do I get my music hot in the streets? It might start with 10 people. That 10 gonna get you to 100. That 100 gonna get you to 1,000. That 1,000 gonna get you to 10,000. That 10,000 gonna get you to 100,000. So it's a process. So don't, don't, so don't just be thinking because I got this record or I got this body of music, it's better than everything I'm hearing on the radio. All I need to do is just get on the radio too. Nah. Mm-mm. <laughs> Mm-mm-mm. I've, I've literally have text messages in my phone with that exactly. Oh yeah. I'm better than everything on the radio. It's like, bro, don't you realize Every, you said it earlier. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. And when you look in the mirror, I know you see a megastar. I know you do. Yeah, but, but, but you got to know how to sell that. Yeah, yeah. You got, you, you got to think, Mercedes-Benz still advertise their cars. Yeah, they, I still might see a commercial every You still going to see a commercial. Chevrolet still advertises their cars. Harley-Davidson still advertise their motorcycles. Jordan's, Mike, Nike still advertise their shoes. Adidas still advertise their shoes. Levi's still advertise. 
So if these people still advertising and marketing their product and you got a product and nobody knows who you are, you don't get it. Yeah. It's you don't product. understand what you signed up for. You into a business. You, you're the you're the person who knows how to put the rim on a car, but you don't know how to make the rim. Yeah. You don't know how to sell the rim. You don't know how to put the rim in the warehouse and stock it and ship it. And you don't know all that. You the mom and pop hamburger spot that's better than me. You Miss Ann, USA yeah. Today, and and USA Today and CNN and say Miss Ann, the rest in peace. Ghetto Burger is the best hamburger ever, but. She ain't sold a billion hamburgers like McDonald's because she thinking just like you think. I'm going to spend 75 hours making the best burger. But I don't know what to do but with But McDonald's that made 75 million in that same time span. You know what I mean? It's just, <laughs> you know what I mean? They out, they out the, they yeah, out the it's shelf. A, it's the same thing. McDonald's burger's not better than Miss Ann burger, but they done sold billions of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing. These artists that you think you're hotter than, they've sold millions of records and you haven't. Why? Because of your mindset. Because you think the world see what you see when you look in the mirror. You don't know how to market yourself. You don't know how to promote yourself. It's bigger than just sending somebody a tweet. Somebody, yeah, it might work. But that's not all the avenues. That's not the only platform. That's not the main platform. And I add to this, because you know this too, Greg. You know, you... You know, they still sign people without all that. Oh, yeah, definitely. But but when you get in there, I'm going to tell you right now, you don't get to be yourself. They're going to tell you who you are because you oh, didn't... I'm going I'm, to I'm, 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 I'm answer that, and this is how we're going to end the podcast. I'm going to tell y'all this one situation. This is how we're going to end the podcast. Less than 4% of the artists who get signed to a major label ever come out. Wow. That is how we're going to get out of here. Less than 4%. Of the artists who get signed, they get a deal, they get signed oh to the God. label, they get a budget, they, <laughs> they get a product manager, they go in the studio and make records, they turn the records in, they never come out. L.A. Reid, wow. when, he, when he went to Epic, when he was on The Voice, yeah. he signed over 75 artists. I think only eight or nine of them ever came out. Wow. You just said a mouthful of it in. That's, that's some co-op shit right there. Like, so you said less than 4% of the... Less than 4% of the artists who think what you're thinking right now, if I get signed, I made it. Less than 4% of the artists who get signed to a major label ever come out or ever make it. Wow. Hey, Bye, man. y'all. Hey, Greg Street was in this bitch, man. I appreciate you coming through, OG, man. It's all good. Willie Will, man. Willie Will got them beats, too. Today they buy one, get one free. Back to school special. Holla. <laughs> The views and opinions expressed on the co-op podcast are entirely those of the guests and callers. They do not in any way reflect the opinions of the co-op podcast or its staff.